think God must fit into our little shoebox. God doesn't fit into our shoebox. God doesn't answer us according to our terms. God answers on his terms and we rise up to his terms. God wants us to rise up to his terms so that we might understand perspectives from his view. I don't need any advice from you. I know how to deal with my business. And trust me, I am God and I'm good. Mercy in the middle of wrath. Only our God can do such a thing. Mercy in the middle of judgment. To God, judgment does not mean destruction unless that is a bad, bad fig and whatever that is, you know, in that sense. In Psalm 145, we thus read, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. Once again, it is an awesome privilege to invite you to the Agape Fellowship where we undertake a verse-by-verse study of the scriptures. Today, we will cover the third and final chapter of the book of Habakkuk. When we began our journey through the book, we saw the prophet's questions to God concerning what was happening around him. Questions like, Why do the righteous suffer? And why does God appear to be silent? However, when God responded saying judgment is coming, it was not in line with what Habakkuk had hoped. And yet God teaches him that through such trying times that the righteous shall live by faith. As we continue on in our study today, we will draw on the eternal principles of God who in his sovereignty ultimately accomplishes that which is good, just as he is good. Today, we will learn that the judgments of God are in keeping with His mercies. Be blessed as you learn from His word. Tonight we jump into chapter 3. Uh, before we get into the story, uh, into what God has to show for, show us, um, in chapter 1, let's just do a review. In chapter 1, Habakkuk asked two questions. Do you know what those two questions are? Anybody? What are those two questions that Habakkuk asked in chapter 1? It's... Um... The, the wickedness of, of Israel and what will happen. Okay. So yeah. the answer, thanks, Maria. The answer, the, the two questions that Habakkuk asked is, why do the righteous suffer? And why does God often appear to be silent? In other words, he's saying, how long, Lord? How long? Uh, was the first question. And then when God came back with the answer saying that, look, I'm doing a work. Uh, that you will not understand. And then he said it was a Chaldeans and he couldn't believe that. And so that's, those are the two questions. Habakkuk found the answers in a very unexpected fashion. 
However, in order to understand God's answers, he found he needed to alter his perspective. So when God gave him the answer, it wasn't an answer that Habakkuk was expecting. And so when those answers came to him, he had to change his mind. His attitude had to change. He had to rethink everything that he had learned up until that point. Habakkuk also learned that the ultimate answer to such difficult questions took him back to who God is and God's greatness and majesty. Many times when we struggle with these kinds of similar kinds of questions, we don't find an answer except in God himself. In chapter 3, his doubts have been satisfactorily answered. We are going to see that. And he breaks out into prayer and praise and joy. That's what happens in this particular chapter. But before I proceed, I want to see another person who was also given an answer. And that answer was not exactly the answer that he was expecting. Can one of us turn to Job 42, 1 to 6. Can someone read? I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is that question my wisdom with such ignorance? Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Right. So thank you, Ronnie. Uh, in this case, then, God does not, um, the God, first of all, God does not answer Job the way he was expecting. Then Job finally hears from God, and when he hears from God, it's not the kind of responses that he was expecting. And what did Job, I mean, God tell Job? One, that he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And two, I don't need any advice from you. I know how to deal with my business. And trust me, I am God and I'm good. He didn't answer any of Job's pressing questions. He didn't answer whether he was sinful, whether his problems came from that. God gave an answer according to God's terms, and Job had to deal with it. Habakkuk has the same exact kind of response. God gave him an answer and he had to reset his thinking, rethink everything that he knew about God and come up with a new perspective on God. Our finite mind cannot handle an infinite God. And yet we think that God must fit himself into a shoebox that is our brain, the brain box that we have, the cranium, and if he doesn't answer according to that little gray matter inside of it, then somehow God didn't answer you. Look at how crazy we are. We think God must fit into our little shoebox. God doesn't fit into our shoebox. God doesn't answer us according to our terms. God answers on his terms and we rise up to his terms. God wants us to rise up to his terms so that we might understand perspectives from his view. 
he's not trying to demean us. Rather, he, like a loving heavenly father, he's raising our perspective to his view so that we might get a better perspective of life from his point of view, which is always better than our own point of view. So the divisions in Habakkuk 3 is one is in verse 1 and 3, you're going to see Habakkuk prays to God. In uh, 3 to 15, Habakkuk ponders God's ways. He reminisces God's ways. And finally, Habakkuk praises God. And so verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on the Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the earth. In the midst of the earth, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. A prayer of Habakkuk. So the first two chapters of Habakkuk gave us prophets question and answer time with God. Now God has answered Habakkuk. Prophet begins the prayer to close the book. And Shigenot, by the way, is a transliteration of from Hebrew. And it pertains to a musical instrument. We don't know what exactly that instrument is, but it's it's a musical instrument. Uh, because it's a transliteration from Hebrew, we really don't know what it is. So first he says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of these the years. Habakkuk simply prays for revival. Three requests. First is a revival request. He knows how God once worked and how his people responded and Habakkuk wanted to see the same thing again. Remember when we started in, in uh, Habakkuk 1, we talked about Josiah. Uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk's ministry began at, in the waning years of Josiah and uh, when the next king was just about coming onto the scene. And so he had seen a revival during the Josiah years. And then instead of continuing to go upward after Josiah died, it started to go keel going downwards once again. So he'd seen a revival and then he was, it was actually going down. So Habakkuk first is saying, oh God, revive your work in the midst of the year. Revival is a work of God. It cannot be initiated or undertaken by any human person. God has to work in us in order to revive us. Remember the story about the valley of dry bones? He said, speak to the dry bones. And then when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God went over those dry bones, that is when those dry bones put on flesh and sinew and the people stood up. The valley of dry bones, remember that in uh, Ezekiel. Likewise, he is saying, Lord, revive your work. There is something, however, we as humans can do. Can you say what it is that we can do on our own? Anybody? We can pray. Pray for revival. Yes, we can pray. That we can do. Just like Habakkuk is showing us here today. At the same time, there, this must be a personal prayer, Lord, revive me. The world will not revive until I'm revived, first of all. We too often blame the church for all kinds of sin and corruption and all, 
But however, we forget that we are part of that body of Christ and each one of us has a responsibility to revive ourselves. So in other words, to allow God to revive us so we can become that uh, seed uh, within the church that is on fire. The light that lights up um, brighter, the salt that adds taste to the church. But many times, you know, we go in, we come out, they don't even know you came in, they don't know you went out, and there's no difference. So don't look outward. The first aspect of revival is me. Each one of us has a responsibility, and if we don't, then don't bother. We are being a liar if we are not willing to look at ourselves, look ourselves in the mirror and say, Lord, revive me. Because I'm part of the church. The church needs revival. Then start with me. Don't look at others. Let's start with us. At the same time, uh, we must also pray diligently and search ourselves. Check our conduct. Do we walk? Does our work glorify the Lord as it should? How about our private lives, which only God can see? Secondly, check our conversations. Is our speech pure or is it profane? Do we talk about Jesus to others? Do we talk about scriptures to others? Or do we just not bother? Number three, check our communion. Are we living and growing and abiding? These are the things that we need to look. So, revival. Number two, Habakkuk says, in the midst of the years, make it known. Habakkuk longs for God to do a work that is evident to everyone as a work of God. He prays that revival would be known as a, at a definite time and place. In the midst, notice what he says, in the midst of the years. Not just an idea in somebody's head. We must be daring to ask for that. I believe that the church, even though we ask, even though we ask on these things, yet we are not confident or we are not sure we're going to see that revival. When we, when we pray, knowing that you're going to get then, um, you are going to see that revival. And Habakkuk is actually asking for that specific thing. In a sense, Habakkuk meant for God to work a new redemption from the tyranny of Babylon as he had Israel from the old tyranny of Egypt. In other words, he knows that there's an impeding army that's coming in and in the middle of it saying, Lord, what's the point in all of this if you, your people are not revived? Habakkuk's heart was for the people and saying, God, revive them. There's no point in destroying them. God has no desire in destroying anybody. What's the point in sending them all to hell? God has no such interest. God's interest is to revive each soul, even through judgment and punishment and whatever else comes. God's heart is purely to bring that child home, the lost sheep of Israel and now to us. And notice the last one. He says, in, the, in wrath, remember mercy. 
Habakkuk prays knowing well that they don't deserve revival, so he prays for mercy. The idea is, Lord, I know that we deserve your wrath, but in the midst of your wrath, please send mercy, send revival among us. Prophet wants God to show mercy even in the midst of his anger with Israel. That is a very interesting concept. Here's God judging. Here's God allowing for, uh, he's preparing a nation and it's literally coming to their doorstep. And in the midst of it, he's also asking for revival. He's asking for mercy. He's asking for things of God while God's right hand is up, <laughs> you know, just about to bring down the whip. Let's take a look and you're going to be shocked. It's straight out of scriptures. Jeremiah 24, 1 to 10. Jeremiah 24, 1 to 10, and someone else, while you're taking Jeremiah 24, also did look at Jeremiah 29, 4 to 14. Please read uh, Jeremiah 24, 1 to 10. Now, why did I pick these two? We're going to see how God threads his needle. You're going to stand back and be amazed. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lenore. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. This was after King Nebuchadnezzar. Chadrezar of Babylon had taken into exile from Jerusalem King Jeconahai, son of Jehoiah, Jehoiakim of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the artisans and the smiths, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had a very good figs, like first ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad figs, very bad, so bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans, I will set my eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart, a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. But thus says the Lord, like the bad figs, that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so I will treat King Zedekiah of Judah, his officials, the remnants of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who live in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror, an evil thing to all the kingdoms of the earth, a disgrace, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send send sword famine and pestilence upon them upon they upon they are utterly destroyed from the land that i give to them and their ancestors thank you lenore okay uh let's read jeremiah 29 and then we'll make a couple of points jeremiah 29 4 through 14 thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles whom i have sent in exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses and live in them Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons 
give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are proselytizing to you in my name. I will send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for, for welfare and not for evil. And give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Amen. Amen. Two different sections. We saw how God threaded that needle. Mercy in the middle of wrath. Habakkuk prayed, God answered. Mercy in the middle of wrath. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? that when these exiles were taken from the land, that they would prosper, that they would settle, and they would be considered the good figs. The bad figs are the ones that ran away to Egypt or they hung around in Jerusalem and other parts. The good figs were taken and they settled in Persia and they lived there and God tells them, look, settle, have children, Take marriage, you know, have women marriage, have the marriages, pray for the town, pray for the city, and then in 70 years I'll come back and I'll take you back home. Mercy in the middle of wrath. Only our God can do such a thing. Mercy in the middle of judgment. To God, judgment does not mean destruction unless that is a bad, bad fig and whatever that is, you know, in that sense. But those good figs, God blessed them and they prospered in the land of Persia and the Babylon. And as you read later on in scriptures, that they came back. And notice what else it says, that they would have a heart for God. And they came back, and now when they went to, just as a background history, uh, when they went to Babylon, they dropped their idols and all of those things, and they went back. It was after they returned, from, from the time that they returned, there was no more idols in Israel. Remember, that was one of the things that uh, everybody, every household had its own idols. 
not when they came back. Now, they had other problems. Uh, I'm not talking about that, but they did not have idols when they came back. They were no longer caught up in other kinds of religious uh, relationships with other tribes in the area of Israel. They set themselves apart when they came back. The Israelites who were carried away as captives had it so good in Babylon that very few actually returned from Babylon. That's why even to this day, I don't know if you know that you would see Persian Jews and you may wonder, where did these Persian Jews come from? Where did these uh, Iranian Jews come from? Well, now you know that they were uh, in um, Babylon and they settled in Babylon and then they came back from Babylon. And uh, some of them came back from Babylon, but majority of them, they stayed on in Babylon. Today, as we looked at the first two verses of the third chapter of Habakkuk, we see the prophet's prayer for revival. We learn today that God has to work in us in order to revive us. The prophet teaches us that it is up to us to pray to God for revival. Secondly, we also learn that God's mercy extends in the middle of judgment. The overarching mercy of God was establishing that which was good even through the judgment that the kingdom of Judah had come under. God continued to do good to those whose hearts were stayed on him. Join us again next time as we continue our study from verse 3 of Habakkuk chapter 3.